was a kid and it was hollowed out there in the center for cars to drive through back in 1880s, somewhere during that period of time. At first, people just walked through it. Pedestrians just passed through it. But then automobiles went through it when they were invented. And then later, it's gone back to where pedestrians walk through it. Well, on January the 8th, 2017, at some point on a Sunday afternoon, that giant tree fell over. Even though it had stood for over a thousand years, its core was gone, its limbs were brittle, its roots were shallow, and only a few branches on that tree showed life. And when the winds beat on it, and the snow fell on it, and the, wind, and the water hit it, it began to teeter. And then it fell. That long-standing faithful tree had fallen. It was over. Perhaps that describes some of us. Some of us may be teetering and on the brink because we've had to deal with some storms in our lives. And maybe we think that in the next storm, if we have another storm, that we might be uprooted, life may may fail, and that we may fall into shambles ourselves, spiritually speaking. Maybe our Christian life or our spiritual life seem to feel hollow, shallow, with no strength for the next storm. And there are many storms that we face in this life. Sometimes we face the death of a loved one. Sometimes a divorce may take place or a ruptured relationship. Maybe it's a health issue that we have to deal with. Maybe it's just the pressures of life that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Maybe it's a financial problem. You can name the storm that you may have to deal with, but the question is, what if I told you that you can keep from falling? That you can remain faithful to God? What if I told you that you can weather the storms, whatever it may be, however strong it may be? And there are some storms that are out there that we go through in life that sometimes when we're going through them, it just seems impossible to come out on the other side. What if I told you that you can have the inner strength and the confidence that you imagined, but never felt? What if I told you that you could experience joy and peace regardless of the storm, even in the storm while it's raging around you? Is it possible... I believe that the Bible tells us and shows us that it's possible. Jesus said that I come that you might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus doesn't want us to just have life. He wants us to have that abundant life. And I believe that He most likely is talking about spiritual realities, such as the forgiveness of sin, God's presence within us, salvation, and eternal life and those things that go along with all the spiritual blessings that we receive. But I believe that there's also another implication of what He said. You see, He came teaching principles and attitudes and characteristic traits. That each one of us, if we will put them in our lives, not only will it help us spiritually, 
but that it will also help us in our physical lives. If we will adhere to them, it will result in us living a much better life. Jesus came teaching us how to live an enjoyable life here on this earth. It may not be a worldly life, but it's a life that rises far above what the world has to offer. It's above the common. It's above the ordinary. Life at its best today is found in Christ. It makes no difference who we are. If we're young or old, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. It makes no difference how tired we are, how disappointed we may be, how lonely or how helpless life may seem at the moment. We can follow this path to life at its best, the life that Jesus Christ came to make possible if we will hold to the principles that are found in His Word. You see, we're talking about character. We're talking about developing a heart, an attitude, an emotion, and a behavior like Jesus. Living like Jesus results in a life beyond amazing, beyond anything that we could imagine. So how can we do that? Maybe it's something that has eluded you, and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've never experienced that abundant life. How does it happen? Well, it starts with a new beginning. Jesus and Paul speak of a conversion in terms of being born again. We rise to walk that new life as Romans chapter 6 points out. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he talked about being born of the water and of the Spirit. And we know from the writings of Paul in Romans chapter 6 that we go down in that watery grave of baptism, a sinner, and we come up out of that watery grave, a new creature. That our sin has been washed away by the blood of Christ. And when we come out of that, when we come out of that baptism, we're to rise to walk a new life. I want you to listen. You see, our conversion may have taken place years ago. We may have gone through that process years ago. But perhaps we've never really started living a new life that is available in Christ. That we've never really tried to live the way that our Lord expected us to live when we come up out of that watery grave of baptism. There are a few lists in the Bible. I want us to look at two of those lists because I want us to realize that there are things that God expects us to do when we come up out of that watery grave of baptism, when we rise to walk in that new life. God expects you and I to make changes in our lives. And so if you would, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Peter tells us, "...whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature." having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. 
And if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sin. Here we see that Peter is expecting us that as we come up out of that watery grave of baptism, there's a change that's supposed to take place in our lives. And it's a growth process that we have faith when we obeyed the Gospel, when we became a Christian. We had faith, but we're supposed to build upon that faith. And we're supposed to add virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance godliness and patience, and brotherly kindness and charity. God expects us to grow. But I ask you, how many of us have made those changes in our lives? I'm sure that you started, but have you completed the process? Are you still working on it today? Because I want you to notice it comes with a guarantee that if you add these things in your life, ye will not fall. You see, that tree that we looked at, it tumbled. God's Word tells us if we add these things in our lives, then guess what? We'll never fall. And we'll be productive in the work of the Lord. Now, if you would, turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, I'm sure all of these passages of Scripture that we're looking at are very familiar to all of us, but sometimes we need to reread them and be reminded of what God wants us to do and how He wants us to live because sometimes that's our problem. We haven't changed. And so we don't have what God wanted us to have. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And then down in verse 25 it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see, people with these qualities, the people that have this fruit in their life, and I want you to notice this doesn't say fruits of the Spirit, it's fruit of the Spirit. All of these make up the fruit of the Spirit. And you might have a portion of it, but you don't have have it in its entirety, there's going to be problems. You're going to have difficulties in life to have that abundant life. People with these qualities are living the abundant life regardless of what is taking place in their lives. Notice, Peter didn't say, have these things in your life, have these character traits, have these uh, uh, good graces in your life if everything's going well. Having those graces in our lives make everything go well. There'll be challenges. There'll be trials. There'll be difficulties. But when you have the fruit of the Spirit and those Christian graces, guess what? You can make it through those. In order for us to enjoy the abundant life, we must be willing to embrace these traits, these characteristics, making them a part of our daily walk. The question is, are you willing? Are we willing? And are you ready to try? Like I said, you may have made an effort to begin with and come up against an obstacle and quit. You've got to get up. You've got to keep trying. 
It's not impossible to do what God wants us to do. Because our second point this morning is the fact that God will empower us. He will give us what we need in order to accomplish what He's told us that we need to accomplish in our lives. He hasn't asked us to do anything that is impossible. When He asks us to add these graces into our lives, when He tells us about the fruit of the Spirit, those are things that He knows that we can add to our lives that will make us have that abundant life. And He empowers us to have those things in our life. You see, God never asks us to do anything that He does not give us the power to do. The Holy Spirit is at work helping us to keep in step with His will. We can keep in step with Him through the Scripture. As we study God's Word, we know what God wants us to do. We know He wants us to add these graces. We know He wants us to have the fruit of the Spirit. And He helps us to accomplish those things. You see, we know the Scripture tells us there's certain things that we need to get rid of in our lives. God realizes that when we get rid of anger and wrath and malice and all those types of things, that there's a void in our lives. And maybe before we became a Christian, we were full of those kind of things. Maybe a lot of worldly sin was in our lives. We were involved with it. And when we became a Christian, we were expected to give it up. And we gave it up. We stopped. But guess what? If you don't put something in its place guess what? Those things start to creep right back into your life. And so God says, get rid of those things and this is what I want you to put in its place. Not one of them. Not a couple of them. He wants them all in our lives. And He gives us the power to do that. You see, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 3 that God is at work in us. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, It says, Now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God's Word, when we put it in our heart, will work in us. I'll admit, I'll confess this. The other day I was walking into a store and I was approached by a man who wanted some money. You know what came to my mind? A passage of Scripture about helping those that ask. Why did that come to my mind? It wasn't because God beamed it in there. It's because that's what was in my mind to begin with. I put that Scripture there. That's how the Scripture works. We study it. We put it into our minds. We put it into our heart. And then when we are approached or confronted with a sin or confronted with some uh, situation... We know how to respond because God's Word has empowered us, has helped us, and is guiding us. What if I didn't have that Scripture in my mind? What if I'd never read that Scripture? Guess what? It wouldn't have come to my mind. And the same is true with you. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he states, "...being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ." When he starts something in us, he'll complete it. He'll do his part. But as we'll see in a moment, it takes both of us. It takes God and it takes me to make it happen. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20, we find there a prayer. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the body, or from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of everlasting covenant, 
Make you perfect in every good work to do His will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both or glory forever and ever. God works in our lives. Sometimes we don't like to admit that, but God's in our lives. He's in us. When we allow Him to come into our lives through His Word, guess what? He's in us and He's helping us. And when those Scriptures are in our heart, they will guide us if we will allow them to do so. The problem is sometimes those passages of Scripture come to mind. But we say, go away. Go away. I would rather do something else. I want to do it my way, not your way. And that's where the problem's at. And that's why so oftentimes we miss out on the abundant life. Because it's easier to be miserable than to have joy. It's easier to hate than to love. It's easier to be impatient than patient. It's easier to give in as opposed to being temperate or having self-control. All of those things. The world way is easier. That's why God has a higher standard. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, listen to what it says. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I ask you, who's He talking to there? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10, through 10, who's He talking to? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people like you and me that have obeyed the Gospel of Christ. For us, I want you to listen to this. Living the good life which He prearranged and made ready for us is something that we can do. Because that's what that passage of Scripture says. That the things that He wants us to do have been ordained. He planned it ahead of time. That when the foundations of the world came, we re- or was was, bit, or was made. We realized that God had a plan for the salvation of man, and that part answer was Jesus Christ. And then we are to be obedient, and He's given us a plan to follow. Not only to become a Christian, but to live the Christian life. Isn't that what that passage of Scripture, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them? This isn't something that He just made up on the fly. This was something that was in His plan from the beginning. And so God expects us to follow that. And I hope you believe that God is at work in your life and collectively in our life as a congregation of God's people. I hope you believe that God's at work enabling and empowering us To live that abundant life. Third point, we must decide. If we want to live for Jesus, live like Jesus, live with Jesus, and live the good life, the abundant life, that demands a personal choice from you and me. We have God's help. We have divine help. But we're talking about a life-changing choice that we must make. You're not going to add those Christian graces by accident. 
You're not going to add the, the fruit of the Spirit into your life without effort. You see, Peter tells us that we are to give all diligence and that we are to make or to add those graces to our lives. Diligence. What does that word mean? Well, it means it's a constant and earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken, persistent exertion of the body or mind. So what's he saying? He's saying that if I want to do this, I have to be diligent. That I have to work at it. And I have to be working at it not only on Sunday morning during worship hour or Bible class when we're doing our lessons, but I need to be doing it every day of my life. I get up in the morning thinking about doing what God wants me to do. Adding these graces, uh, graces to my life. Having the, Spirit, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in my life on a daily basis. I get up thinking about it. I live the day thinking about it. I end the day thinking about it. Why? Because that's diligent. We're going to make it happen. And it's a decision that you and I have to make. It doesn't just happen. And so many times we miss out on what the blessings are that God has promised us because we don't want to make that effort. It's too much. People are going to think we're crazy. They're going to think we're some kind of religious freak. Maybe they do. So what? Have them tell me that on the day of judgment. I want to be constant and make that earnest effort to accomplish what is undertaken. You see, diligence is not a word for the faint hearted. It takes determinate commitment to be what God wants us to be. Adding these character traits will change our life. They'll transform us into the image of Jesus. That's what that word Christian means, Christ-like. Not a word to take lightly. We want to be like Him. We want to develop that Christian or Christ-like character in your life. It takes determination. And it's a joint effort with God and ourselves. And we cannot have that abundant life without both of us, God and ourselves, being involved. It's like a marriage that's fall apart. One, one partner in that marriage may be working at it. If the other one's not, it's going to be hard to fix. Difficult to fix. Because it takes both. And to have a successful marriage, it takes both partners, the husband and the wife, working together to make that happen. And to have that successful Christian life, it takes God and ourselves to make it happen. We have to get rid of our fears. When we have God in us, what have we to fear? If the Creator of this universe, the Giver of life, the Provider of all the things that we need to sustain this life, the Protector of us, and the Giver of all things is our Father in Heaven, what do we have to be afraid of? What do we have to fear? It was Jesus who said, don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't let your heart be troubled. It was Paul who said, be anxious for nothing. But yet we are anxious all the time. Why is that? 
Do we have those Christian graces in our lives? Do we have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? I want you to listen to what God said to Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10, the voice of God says to Isaiah, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. What did he say? I'm with you. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. You say, well, he was a chosen man of God. That's why God said that to him. Let me ask you, doesn't the Bible tell us that as Christians, we are God's chosen people? A royal priesthood? A peculiar people? And didn't Jesus say that He would be with us even to the end of the world? We have nothing to fear. Indeed, we don't need to fear anything. Instead, we need faith, hope, strength, understanding of God's promises, and His presence. Number four, if we're going to enjoy that abundant life, we must have the right motive for what we do. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, and the words of Solomon. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thou alms, <clears throat> do, so, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father may see it in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Merely I say unto you, they have their reward. You see, we add those Christian graces. We have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives not to be seen by someone else. Not so that we can boast. Not so that we get the praises of someone else. We're trying to please our Father in heaven. And so we want to be motivated by the right reason not to get that slap on the back and say, good job, attaboy. We're doing it because that's what God wants us to do. Listen to what Paul has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 1, beginning, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What's he saying? He's saying my motive needs to be because I love God. I love what He wants me to do. I want to please Him. It's not to be seen of men. 
And if I'm doing it to please man, then I'm like that kid with a, with a, with a mallet and a cymbal. How annoying that would be. Listen to them beat on a drum and beat on a cymbal in the house. We would all get tired of that after a while. But that's what Paul says we're like. Why don't we have that abundant life? Because sometimes we're not motivated by love. We don't do things because we love God. We do things because we have to. Somebody's watching us. And if we don't do it, then who's going to do it? Paul says, if I give my body to be burned and have not love, if I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Solomon's saying a motive makes a big difference. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence. There's that word again. For out of it are the issues of life. You ever heard the expression, you are what you think? We are what we think. If you think, I can't, I can't add those graces, I can't do that, then guess what? Most likely you're not going to do that. Oh, I don't believe God's going to help me with this. I don't believe He's going to empower me. Well, then He probably won't empower you. probably won't help you. Our relationship with God. To live the good, abundant life, our heart must be right. Motive is everything, and without it, that abundant life is impossible. So why do we struggle so much with living the abundant life? Why do we find it so difficult to add these Christian characters or character traits to our daily walk? Why is it we struggle? Why is there such a gap between what Jesus wants us to be and what we really are? I believe there's three reasons. First, sometimes we misunderstand the concept of salvation. The Bible presents salvation in three stages or three steps. One step is the moment that we believe and repent and are born again in New Testament baptism. At that point, we are forgiven of our past sins and we're saved. And that's what Jesus talked about in Mark chapter 16, 15, and 16. <clears throat> However, there is a time in which we grow to be like Jesus and conform to His image or His likeness while we're here between the time of our baptism and the time that we depart this world. Peter speaks of it in terms of making our calling and election sure. Paul says it's working out our salvation. John says that it's walking in the light, walking in truth. These metaphors speak of our being continually cleansed by the blood of Jesus as we strive to become more and more like Him. 
Then, of course, our salvation is completely done when we are in the presence of God in heaven. That was the our second point here is sometimes we struggle with the concept that the Bible teaches about grace and works. Quite often I hear people say, I hope I'm doing enough to get to heaven. The answer to that is you will never do enough to get to heaven. Jesus said that when you've done all that is your duty to do, consider yourself an unprofitable servant. So what is He telling me? I'm not earning my salvation. It's not merited. It's something that is a gift from God. Not something that we can earn. It's not something that when we have done enough, that we can say God is indebted to us. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now that's what the Scripture says. Now people will say, well, you don't have to do anything. Remember what verse five or 10 said, that we are His creation. We're created for good works. That He expects us to do those things. And because of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, people will say baptism is a work, so you don't have to do that. Well, Jesus said you did. The Apostle Peter said you did. The Apostle Paul said you did. Many others in the New Testament said you did. So who am I to say, I don't need to do that? In fact, the very next verse, as we look at verse 10, it says we're saved to work, not saved by works. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Yes, we should work. But we're motivated to work because of that love that we have for God. And I'm sure you're like me. You found out that when you're doing something for someone that you love, the job is a whole lot easier. But if you're doing for, doing something for someone that you don't like, maybe it's a boss, it's a tyrant, it's not so easy, is it? And the third point, we fail to understand our spiritual maturity. You see, God could save us without us doing anything. But He requires us to develop a character of Jesus. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 15, Paul says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We're to study. We want to be approved of God. And that very verse says, A workman. I find that very interesting that if I don't have to do anything for my salvation, then how does he, why does He call me a workman? You see, I have to serve God. I have to do what He's told me to do. Peter tells us that we need to add those attributes that we talked about so that we can make our calling and election sure. We need to add faith and virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and charity to our lives. 
We need to add the fruit of the Spirit, which means that we're keeping in step with the Spirit. And keeping in step with the Spirit means that we're walking with God. So yes, God desires that we live the good life, the abundant life. Jesus came and made it possible for us to do that. And He wants us to be that tree that never topples. The giant that never falls regardless of the storms that come into our lives. If you have your Bible, turn over to Psalms chapter 1. I love the words of David. He says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, And in His law doth He meditate day and night. And He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and bringeth forth His fruit into His season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever He doeth, it shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chafe, which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinner in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly <clears throat> shall perish. If you're here this morning and you're not walking with God, <clears throat> you can by faith and repentance and confession and being born again in New Testament baptism, you can start that new life. And those of us who are the children of God, ours is to make our walk complete, to be what God wants us to be. And until we add those graces, and until we develop the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, it's going to be difficult to have that abundant life. And so this morning, if you need to come and be added to the Lord's kingdom through baptism, we're more than happy to help you. If you need our prayers, we're here to help you in that area also. So this morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, please do so while we stand and say.